The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Monday edition of PFTPM. Amazing how busy things have been the past few days. Bad news dump on Friday from the Texans. Good news dump from the Jets Friday night. Sparked likely by the bad news dump from the Texans. Once the Texans fire GM Brian Gain and the Jets have yet to hire Joe Douglas, the Jets end up hiring Joe Douglas. Let's get this done now before the Texans show up and try to hire Joe Douglas. Smart move by the Jets, who were lowballing Joe Douglas. $3 million a year, reportedly, for the Jets' GM job. Now, six-year contract, so it's $18 million over six. And hey, look, that's nothing to sneeze at. But let me tell you, it's a tough job. That's a tough job. You get maybe one crack at being a GM. And either you thrive and get contract number two, maybe number three, maybe best case scenario, you're Thomas Dimitrov and you're hanging around for a dozen years still going strong, or you wash out and it's back to being somebody's director of player personnel or director of college scouting, back to anonymity and back to a hell of a lot less money. It's a weird dynamic. Because that job is every bit as stressful and difficult and demanding as being a head coach. Because you're as accountable as the head coach. And in some cities, even more accountable. Brian Gaines, 17 months, 17 months. There's a hell of a story floating around out there somewhere as to what went wrong. And something we pointed out today on PFT Live. To the extent that there is this ever-growing list of people that Bill O'Brien can't get along with, at some point, you are the problem. If you can't get along with this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, at some point, it's you. When you are expected to work with someone closely and form a team, a bond, a consensus, and you don't get along with Rick Smith, and you don't get along with Brock Osweiler, and you don't get along with Brian Gain, the guy you wanted, at some point, it's you. Now, I like Bill O'Brien, but I haven't had to work with him. He's got to be able to show that he can work and play well with others. Because at some point, it's him. Nick Casario seems to be the main target for the Texans for the new GM job. Question one, does he want it? Question two, does it entail enough authority that the Patriots can't block it? If the Texans want him. We'll see how that plays out. The authority is the key. You have to have primary authority over the football operation. don't have to have control over the 53-man roster. But if Bill O'Brien has enough power that he's the guy and the GM job isn't a real GM job, it's GM light, then the Patriots can say no. Any other team that has a potential candidate working for it and wants to keep that guy can say no. So that's something to keep an eye on. As the Texans become... The latest delayed reaction 
general manager search team or something. That didn't sound as good as I thought it was going to. The latest delayed reaction GM search team didn't sound any better that time either. What the competition committee is considering for pass interference replay review doesn't sound good to me either. But the good news is when they tried to roll out changes to the rule, and let's summarize what happened for anybody who hasn't been paying attention or if you've just forgotten. Number one, Rams Saints sparks an outcry for change. Number two, Rich McKay, the competition committee chairman, doesn't want to make changes because he doesn't want unintended consequences. Number three, they go to Arizona for the league meetings, and there's an avalanche of pressure from the coaches and the owners to do something. Number four, they overreact because they weren't ready for the pushback. They implement replay review for all pass interference calls and non-calls, offensive or defenses, whenever they're made. They're part of the normal replay review process. Next, the competition committee says, oh, shit, we made this too broad. We need to have the ability to tweak the rule. We have to carve back some of these things because we don't want to have automatic replay review of pass interference in the final two minutes of either half. We don't want to have all these replay reviews triggered by the absence of clear and obvious evidence that the call on the field was correct because there's so many close calls. There's so many calls that can go either way. Call on the defense, no call, call on the offense. We don't want that. I suggested back in March we're going to have a lot of offsetting penalties as the end result of this replay review of pass interference. That'll be the mulligan. We don't know what the hell happened. Let's just call it offsetting fouls and do it over again. The competition committee wants to put it on the coaches to throw the challenge flag for pass interference replay review. The only problem last week when they talked to the coaches, they don't really want it that way. They want automatic replay review. Now, I can't get a clear read on how the coaches reacted to the idea that there would not be replay review at all for Hail Marys. That is a difficult one because of how you define Hail Mary. Unless they define Hail Mary as know it when you see it, referee basically throws his arm in the air like it's a three-point attempt or an infield fly in baseball. Activating the Hail Mary no replay review rule during that play or prior to that play. It's just too difficult and it's too challenging and it creates other unwanted consequences. These aren't unintended as much as unwanted consequences as I've pointed out in the past. If the rule is 40 yards or more out, 10 seconds or less on the clock, you're going to have somebody throw an out route to get the ball to the 39 and fire it to the end zone one time. So that's not ideal. But the coaches pushed back. The competition committee will be circling back with the owners this week, and we'll get some clarity about what they're going to do. But they better figure this out. It's a one-year rule change, and the one year it's going to happen, the one year it's going to apply the 100th season to the NFL, the best outcome would be to implement Sky Judge now, with the understanding, with the agreement, with the clear consensus and acknowledgement that that is the break glass in event of emergency option, where a member of the officiating crew, you add a member to each crew, you put that person in the booth, you give that person license to contact the referee and say, 
Drop a flag for pass interference. My God, man, didn't you see that? Nikel Roby Coleman ran across the field and blew up Tommy Lee Lewis. And no one down there threw a flag. It's a foul. They're going to go crazy from sea to shining sea. Throw the flag. It doesn't quite need to be that elaborate and detailed. Throw the flag is enough. And then replay review would be a separate issue altogether. But you don't even need replay review for pass interference if you have the ability to fix it in real time as part of the first look. Not second look, part of the first look. No different than an official throwing a flag, the officials huddling on the field, and the flag being picked up. The perspective is different. You have one official with the benefit of seeing everything that we see at home. Put two in there. And make sure they agree. Make sure they both turn the key if you need to. Take one off the field and put one of them up there with a replay official, a video official, a sky judge. See, this is different from the replay official who's already there. That person's there to assist in activating automatic review, not to communicate with the referee as part of the decisions made. But that's what they need to do. We'll see whether or not they do it. Mandatory minicamps this week, there were nine last week, which tells me, if my math is correct, and it rarely is, there will be 23 this week as the off-season programs roll to a conclusion. So far, a couple of the names to have emerged. Malcolm Jenkins, Eagles safety, who has stayed away from the off-season program, will show up for Philly's mandatory minicamp. Yannick Ngakwe, who has been on-again, off-again participant in the Jaguars' off-season program, will not show up. Ngakwe trying to get his financial reward. He's got a bunch of sacks over the last three years. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I recall when he first began to boycott the offseason program, he was north of Demarcus Lawrence and Joey Bosa and maybe just behind Frank Clark over the last three years, if I recall correctly. It's something in that neighborhood. It suggests that Yannick Ngakwe has earned a major payday. The question is, will the Jaguars give it to him now before his contract expires? And here's an important point. And we talked about this earlier today, and I need to write about this at PFT so everybody's on the same page as I pull up the Yannick Ngakwe compensation. This whole new money analysis. Now, agents like to do it because new money analysis always makes a deal look better. But Yannick Ngakwe is in the exact same boat that Dak Prescott is. $2 million salary for 2019. That means that if you rip this thing up completely and give him a new contract, at signing, you give him the D. Ford Frank Clark contract, DeMarcus Lawrence contract, something like that. The problem is you're going to drive the new money through the roof because... The agents will take that. And and let me try to do the math real quick. Let's let's just let's take DeMarcus Lawrence as the comparison. All right. DeMarcus Lawrence signed a five year one hundred and five million dollar contract. If you give and let's make sure we're on the same page. I'm doing this all on the fly. This isn't like one of those cooking shows where they give you the ingredients and then they turn their back and they pull it out of the oven. We're cooking this thing. We're making this sausage and baking it live. 105 divided by 5. That's $21 million a year for DeMarcus Lawrence. All right? That's new money. That's total value at signing because his contract is, has expired. Same as Clark. Same as Ford. Their contract's expired. 
they signed brand new deals. So the new money analysis, the total value it's signing the same. It's a five-year, $105 million contract. That's all that matters. So if you give Yannick Ngakwe a five-year, $105 million contract, what will happen is that thing will be sold as a contract with a new money value of $103 million over four years, $25.75 million. And the Jaguars aren't going to want to be associated with that kind of a bump. See, it's a device not just for allowing agents to thump their chest unfairly. It's also a device for letting teams unfairly hold the market down because the Jaguars will say to Ngakwe's agents, there ain't no way we are paying you $25.75 million per year in new money. And I guarantee you Ngakwe's agents would say, with a five-year, $105 million contract, hey, it's a four-year, $103 million extension, $25.75 million. He's the highest-paid defensive player in NFL history. That's the problem. I hope I explained that. I saw the Patriots canceled their last two OTA sessions, and I got no problem with that. We talked about this last week on PFTOT. How is it that the coaches can whine about not having enough time with their players in the offseason and then cancel two of 10 OTA sessions, 20% of the OTA sessions? How do you reconcile that? And I understand that the coaches like to build in that reward. So no matter how many of the OTA sessions are available, whether it's 10, whether it's 15, whether it's 20, you always want to give them that little nugget, that little cookie at the end. But it's just weird to me. I can't reconcile the the pining for more time and the decision to bag on the off-season workouts that are still left. Interested to see whether or not the Raiders do that because John Gruden's the king of, we need more time, we need more time, we need more time. All right. I need plenty more time to talk about the Tyreek Hill situation. There's been another development today. A report from WHB Radio. Kevin Keitzman, Kansas City. There's no date or time on this article, but I assume it's today. I wasn't aware of it before today. This is going to be another development that gets twisted into Tyree Kill is innocent. See what happened on Friday. Out of the blue, item in the KC Star, District Attorney Steve Howe, Johnson County, Kansas, says that Tyree Kill is not the subject of an active criminal investigation. That opened the floodgates for free Tyree Kill. Tom Pelissero on NFL Network saying, every reason to believe that Tyree Kill will be back for training camp. And I initially reacted to that in a very negative way, suggesting that the league is going to whitewash all of this, that the league doesn't want this Tyree Kill thing hovering over season number 100. But then I was told by the league when I asked, and I don't know whether or not Pelissero bothered to ask the league for clarification, the league has been delaying an interview of Tyree Kill, not because of any potential pending criminal investigation, but because of the pending Child Protective Services proceeding that was sparked by the removal of Hill's three-year-old son from the custody of Hill and his fiancée, Crystal Espinal. And that is a huge difference. Because, number one, 
the announcement of no active criminal investigation involving Hill is irrelevant to the league's posture. The league continues to wait. The league continues to do nothing until the CPS action ends, and who knows when that will end. It's amazing to me the number of Chiefs fans, not all of them, but some of them, that seem to know everything about the case when it comes to favorable information for Hill. But when it comes to negative information about Hill, they will shout and scream, you're jumping to conclusions without all the evidence. You don't know what Hill did or didn't do. But you know, I heard that the mom is the one who did it. Don't you dare demean the good name of the man who choked and beat Crystal Espinal in 2014 while she was pregnant. We don't know what the evidence is, but I heard the mom did it. It's been laughable. It's been sad. And I hope some of the Chiefs fans out there who have been taking me on via Twitter with 280 character attacks at a time or less are listening to this. Because what you all are doing is wrong. What you all are trying to do is wrong. You're trying to prop up a guy who has a proven history of antisocial behavior that includes choking and beating a pregnant woman. Period. Well, he was never convicted. He pleaded guilty to that, and it's been expunged from his record. It still happened. It is amazing to me the lengths to which zealous Chiefs fans, not all but some, are willing to twist themselves into pretzels to try to justify their deep-seated desire to have Tyreek Hill back on the field so they can pursue the team's first Super Bowl appearance in 50 years. This isn't about right and wrong. This is about my guy being on the field. That's what it's about. And it's sad. And it's compounded by the tribal mentality, the red state, blue state, Fox News, MSNBC, shout each other down. I will only view any and all information that emerges on this matter through my own prism of what I believe and what is good for me. Hey, I like the Chiefs. I love Patrick Mahomes. I love Patrick Mahomes. I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. It's a great story. I love Andy Reid. I'd love to see him win a Super Bowl. But I also like fairness. And once the league decided to go down this path of policing the private lives of players, it undertook an obligation to be fair. And if Zeke Elliott got suspended six games for something he was never arrested or charged for, for something he never had a fair chance to prove that he didn't do within the confines of the NFL's in-house justice system, if he gets six games for that and Tyree Kill gets nothing for saying to Crystal Espinal, you need to be terrified of me too, bitch, a chilling statement that told me the Mr. Hyde that did what he did in December of 2014 is still lurking inside Tyree Kill. Last year, Jimmy Smith of the Ravens suspended four games for threats and emotional abuse of the mother of his child. No physical violence, threats and emotional abuse. Four games. I think Hill gets at least eight games for you need to be terrified of me too, bitch. And just because the NFL has said nothing doesn't mean the NFL will do nothing. The NFL is waiting. 
there are two potential personal conduct policy violations. Number one, the threat. You need to be terrified of me too, bitch. Oh, that's not a threat. That That's just a statement that was made in the heat of the moment. He wasn't actually going to do anything. He was just threatened. Oh, Try talking your way around that one, Chiefs fan. Not all of you, but some of you. Try talking your way around. You need to be terrified of me too, bitch, not being a threat. If it's not a threat, I don't know what it is. Especially when he's already acted on something, threat or no threat. Either she got fair warning or she didn't in December of 2014. Who knows what he said to her before he choked her and beat her while she was pregnant. And see, here's where, for me, I don't know that it's personal. Again, I'm trying to make sure that the league is fair with all players. And when you consider what's happened to other players and you look at what Tyreek Hill has done and you listen to his voice on that tape, I allowed myself to suspend disbelief that Tyreek Hill was different than the guy who choked and beat a pregnant Crystal Espinal in December of 2014. I allowed myself to think he had changed. I allowed myself to become blinded by his incredible physical ability. Look, a guy who's that fast and that good can't be a bad guy behind closed doors when no one's paying attention and he has an opportunity to choke and beat a pregnant woman. That's a different guy. That's a different time. That's a different place. He's matured. He's grown. He's evolved. And then you hear, you need to be terrified of me too, bitch. While they're arguing the point of whether or not the three-year-old child either respects him or is terrified of him. After two moves, he goes there. That's the equivalent of starting a game of chess. Two moves in, and you feel like it's not going well, so you knock all the pieces off the board. That's my issue with it. So the latest development, now the Friday development was no active criminal investigation of Hill. The latest from WHB is... Chiefs receiver Tyreek Hill did not break his three-year-old son's arm last January, and neither did his wife, Crystal Espinal. According to multiple sources close to the investigation, Hill and Espinal were cleared of any role in the broken bone injury almost immediately after the investigation began in March. Okay, now this is all relevant because when the news of the investigation first came up, the Kansas City Star, and in the, in the very first article about the investigation into potential child abuse involving Hill's son. There was a reference to a broken arm. Then it was taken out. Then it was put back in. But here's the important point. And I'm going to read this paragraph. It's just two sentences, maybe three. In April, Johnson County District Attorney Steve Howe held a press conference to announce criminal charges would not be brought against Hill or Espinal, but stated... He believed a crime was committed against the boy, and it was believed the crime was about the broken arm. It was not. Howe's team has halted working on the case, as they still can't bring charges for bruising and harming the boy. So, when Steve Howe said, the day before we heard the audio, with the, you need to be terrified of me too, bitch, comment. When Steve Howe was referring to a crime being committed, but he doesn't have the proof necessary to charge someone and prove that they were guilty... He wasn't talking about a broken arm, but he still believes a crime was committed. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to end up posting a story at PFT about this WHB report, and I'm going to try to explain it and put it in context as best as I can. And there will be an avalanche of Chiefs fans, not all but some, who insist that in the absence of evidence of a broken arm, 
Hill should be immediately allowed to come back and play. Practice and play and be fully exonerated. And I'm telling you, it ain't going to happen. Get your arms around it, Chiefs fans. It ain't going to happen. And whereas I first thought on on Friday, when I heard Tom Pellicero, whose paycheck is signed by Roger Goodell, saying that there's no reason to believe that Tyreek Hill won't be back for training camp, I thought, my God, these guys are so determined to not have an issue hang over season 100, they're going to let this guy come back and act like nothing ever happened. Now what I believe is, given what the NFL told me on Friday about the news of no active criminal investigation not affecting their posture. I believe that however it gets explained, however it gets clarified, however it gets resolved, whatever words they use, we aren't seeing Tyree kill this year. We're not going to see him. Because whenever he shows up, his situation will have to be explained on national television in one of the many Chiefs games played in primetime or in that 425 p.m. Eastern slot on a Sunday. And the NFL is not going to want that type of information discussed, explained, attached to season 100. That's why I believe Tyreek Hill is not going to play this year. The NFL is not going to let him play this year, and it's easy to justify it. Adrian Peterson didn't play but one game in 2014 because he had spanked his child to the point that he broke the skin on the kid's butt. And that is wrong and was dealt with, and he missed a full season. Tyree Kill has whatever it was that happened between him and his son, and we don't know what it was at this point, but you throw on top of it the history of choking and beating Crystal Espinal when she was pregnant, the threat against Crystal Espinal, and the involvement in circumstances in the household that were so unsafe to the child that he was removed from it by the state, which is a big, big deal. The state reluctantly takes kids away from their parents. And when there's a provision in the personal conduct policy that specifically prohibits conduct that puts others at an unreasonable risk of harm, and you're responsible for that kid, and the kid clearly is at some sort of risk or they wouldn't take him out of the home. That's a problem. All right, let's answer some of your questions before we wrap this thing up. I've covered uh, I've covered enough. I'll just call it enough. All right. Oh, that one wore me out though. And here's and it just it is exhausting to me mentally, not physically, but mentally to have to try to fend off this nonsense from some Chiefs fans who are doing everything they can to try to turn this into something that it isn't and attacking me for trying to be the one who stands up and holds people accountable, holds the league accountable to apply its policies properly and fairly and holds Hill accountable. And Hill got away with it in December of 2014 as it relates to the NFL because he wasn't in the league yet. Now, he fell to round five because of that. He would have been a first-rounder but for that. But he got a pass. He never got suspended. And we know how the NFL operates in these situations. It seems to be the NFL is trying to soften its approach to players who weren't arrested or charged, but I don't think Tyreek Hill is going to get the benefit of the doubt here. I don't think he's going to get special treatment. Like I said, I think he's not going to play at all this year because the NFL does not want to undermine the 100th season celebration that already has begun, if you're paying attention to what happened in Chicago this weekend. Big deal, big time, big season. And the NFL has big plans for it. 
And one of the plans is don't let anything other than football become the focal point of what we try to do this year. All right, time to answer some questions. I'm going to skip over the ones that have addressed the things that we've already covered. PFTPM policy, how does the PFTPM policy reconcile when we hear salary cap doesn't matter anymore, teams can get a deal done if they want to, one second, and then the next second people are saying, Cowboys can't sign them all. One or more of these guys will have to go because of the salary cap. It doesn't make sense. Look, here's the thing. There are some teams that are willing to spend up to the cap. And cash over cap 10, 12 years ago was a big device. That was a way that teams would find a way to hold teams together while dealing with the salary cap. But that all, it all, if you are committed to spending everything you have to spend and you start spending cash over cap, if the cap is 188 and you're spending over 200 million, you're putting yourself in a position where those extra dollars have to hit the cap at some point and you're going to have to pay for it. Now, you get lucky if the cap keeps going up and up and up. But I think the dynamic here is that, yes, the cap isn't a problem. Here's what is the problem. The problem is the budget that the team sets. This is the one thing that rarely gets discussed. And our old colleague Greg Rosenthal was bemoaning the fact that people claim that you can't have a lot of money devoted to a quarterback because of the salary cap at a time when teams don't spend all their salary cap money. Look at what the Colts have set aside. And at one point, Andrew Luck was the highest paid player in league history. Now he's more close to the middle of the pack at this point, but it's not the cap. It's the budget. Teams have a budget that determines how much they will spend. And you only have to spend on a four-year rolling average 89% of the total salary cap. That means 11 cents of every dollar can be jammed into your pocket. League-wide, the spending has to be 95% of the cap, which accounts for the idea that some teams will spend more of that 11 cents. They'll spend all of the 11 cents. And it needs to balance out so that the average for all of them is 95 cents. Five cents withheld at most. That's still five cents. Think about that. Five cents, okay? You're withholding five cents on the dollar on a $188.2 million salary cap. That is $9.41 million per team, and that is $301 million that could be spent that isn't spent. And see, that's the, the issue that I think the NFLPA needs to address. The salary floor needs to be higher. Salary cap doesn't matter if teams are more concerned about trying to hover around the salary floor. $301 million. If you're at 95% league-wide spending, $301 million is not being spent because of budgets. So if you have a budget that is set at a certain number that is lower in the salary cap, that makes it even harder to justify paying a quarterback because your budget ties your hands even more tightly than the cap does because somebody who works in the business wing at the franchise headquarters is saying here's what we are spending this year here's what we have in the budget and businesses hide behind the budget all the time oh well it's not in the budget well put it in the budget Put it in the budget. Well, it's not in the budget. We can't do anything about it. Sorry, we're up against the budget. They create this artificial spending model as to what's available. Well, you know what? I'd really like to do it this year, but it's just not in the budget. 
also you can't authorize an overage on the budget and still have a ton of profit for the year. You're, you're making a move that's right for you that, God forbid, it, it causes the budget to be adjusted. But that's how these big companies do business. That's how they justify not doing things that are in their best interest. They hide behind the budget. The budget, the budget, the budget, the budget. Sorry, it's not in the budget. We'll put it in the budget. So Rosenthal's on the right path. And he needs to tread lightly because he works for the league. He's on the right path here. But the problem isn't that teams... It, you know, the logic is you can't say it's impossible to put a great team together when you have a highly compensated quarterback because the salary cap isn't the problem because teams aren't spending up to the cap. Correct. The problem is the budget that teams set, which makes it even more pronounced, which causes you to have even less dollars available to put your team together. There are some teams that will say, damn, the torpedoes, the Vikings right now, the Cowboys, the Steelers in recent years have been residing at or about the limits of the salary cap because they have to play that game every year where they restructure contracts to create more cap space. Most teams aren't, though. We're hearing more and more all the time about all the cap space that is still left. They're setting budgets far lower than they need to, and they are pouring that money into the pockets of ownership. That's what's going on. That's what's happening. And that's why, as the NFLPA puts together its list of proposed terms in the next CBA, whenever that happens, whenever we get to that point, when they start trading proposals, and I assume if the NFL wants to get a deal done by September 1, it's going to happen sooner than later. That's why the NFLPA has to say, we've got to bump up the spending minimum. It's too low. There's too much money that's being sucked out of the system and sucked into the pockets of guys like Jim Irsay who wants to go buy John Lennon's harmonica or whatever it was. John Voigt's car. PFTPM Posse. There's a question about Tyree Kill. I've said everything I'm going to say about Tyree Kill. I'm skipping all Tyree Kill questions unless I see one from a Chiefs fan that raises, I think, a point that needs to be addressed. PFTPM Posse, were you able to Jedi mind trick yourself by working out before eating, but eating like you hadn't worked out yet, like you planned this week? If so, what is the secret to pulling off that particular Jedi mind trick? It's not easy, especially this weekend. It was birthday weekend which means Saturday and Sunday consisted of, one, doing a whole lot of nothing. Two, I still put in like 14, 15, 16 stories into PFT, which isn't all that hard to do on a weekend. I sat outside. One thing I've learned, we've lived in this house for five years, and for whatever reason, I don't spend enough time with my laptop outside. Not in the sun, but just outside, in the air, with the breeze, now, some days it gets too hot. And it's like, the hell with this, I'm going back inside. But it was just a nice, relaxing two days of being outside, of just existing. And I just, I, I, was, I was having such a good time just working and relaxing and existing that I wasn't tempted to eat beyond breakfast and lunch. So I was able to get in my, my one hour on the bike, and it was... 70 minutes Saturday and 62 minutes Sunday, and then I could enjoy my meal. And I don't think I overdid it. Although when my wife made my mom's hamburgers, I that man, those hamburgers are so damn good. And yeah, they are basically meatballs. I posted the recipe. I hope some of you will make them and send me pictures via the PFT Twitter account of what they look like. My mom made those things for years. Now, she would make them all year round. What she would do 
when it wasn't grilling season, she'd make the burgers, she would brown them in a pan, and then she would bake them the rest of the way. And what happened when we made them on Saturday night, they still were were well done, quote unquote. They were brown all the way through, but they were still incredibly tender and moist. They were so freaking good. So good. So I had three of them on Saturday night. But the other thing is they shrink down to nothing. I mean, the patties are really big and they just kind of shrink down to this, to, to basically a flattened meatball. And some of you give me a hard time for putting the half a piece of American cheese on there. Well, that's, that's what we always did. That was how it went. I was duplicating the, and it wasn't doing it because to, to save money on cheese. It's just when it shrinks down, you only have, and all you need, the research is proven. You don't need to have the full piece of cheese. You can do the piece of cheese in half. You still get the sensation of cheese on your burger. It's more compact. You don't have cheese getting all over everything. You don't have cheese getting all over the grill. You get that half the slice and it just lays nicely and it just kind of melts and forms a, a barrier, a, a flavor barrier around the, the burger. So it was so good. And then last night, Sunday night's pasta night. So we had sausage and peppers, rigatoni and uh, lasagna from one of the local Italian restaurants where we where we pick it up every Sunday. We, we Yes, we, we do not cook. We just go pick it up makes it easier that way so it was a good weekend thank you for asking um and uh i i you know i try to get on the scale every day because i got a five pound range i try to stay within i've given myself a break i've i've removed that layer of stress from my life the past few days i think i'm okay see the problem is sometimes you think you're okay and then you get on it's like oh man oh jeez. and then you're like oh boy here we go but i think i'm okay we'll find out i'm i'm acting as if i'm not okay this week you ever do that to yourself? Do you try? Because I, I try to stay in a very tight five pound range, 185 to 190. And instead of getting on and seeing 190, what I'll do is I just assume it's 190. I'll stipulate it's 190. And I'm just going to act like I'm trying to reduce. And then at the end of the week, I'll get on and, you know, maybe I get surprised and it says 184. So that that's what this week is. That That's the birthday weekend, just in case the Jedi mind trick didn't work. These next five days are be careful what you eat. And then hopefully by the end of the day, Friday, I'll be I'll be on the right side of that range. I'm sure you're all very fascinated by that conversation. Jacob Coleman, do you think state legislatures would be willing to give a piece of gambling revenue to teams or allow more gaming in stadiums to keep a team rather than committing to spending public money to build new stadiums? That's an interesting point. I mean, that's part of the deal now. Not now, but as we move forward. As these negotiations are done, that becomes a potential bargaining chip. How do we handle in-stadium revenue split for gambling as part of these stadium negotiations? That's a good point. It all depends upon the mechanism that is authorized in any given state. And you could see in some states now that political mechanism that gets the money together to build a stadium will include getting some sort of dispensation for the team to keep X percent of the in-stadium revenue. I like that. I like that. Good point. Jacob Coleman, I appreciate it. Tyler Furness, with Clowney not attending mandatory minicamp, are there any repercussions for missing it even though he hasn't signed his tender? No, he's not under contract. He's more no more under contract than you or I are to the Texans right now. July 15 is the deadline for doing a long-term deal with a franchise tag player. That's the key date at this point. Clowney stays away, and if he doesn't get a long-term deal, he can stay away until Labor Day weekend and still get his franchise tender. The only risk is the Texans rescind the tender, and he may not get 
as much on the open market. The later we get into the year, the harder it is to get as much as you're being offered under the franchise tender. And keep this in mind, because it happens rarely, but it's not impossible. After July 15, you can change the terms of that one-year deal. You can say, we won't tag you next year. You can actually offer more money. Last year, I thought maybe if the Steelers offered Le'Veon Bell more than what he was due to make under the tag, he would show up. You can do that. All you can not do is sign more than a one-year deal. You can change the terms of the franchise tender, and you can offer more if you want to. El Marco Liz, could the NFL trade relaxed cannabis rules to get two extra games? Massive impact on those teams, not in medical marijuana states. Here's the thing. It's going to take more than that to get the two extra games. Because already smart players know how to avoid running afoul of the league's marijuana policy. That was one of Chris Long's points. So I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to take more than that, much more than that, to get players to agree to 18 games. And you know what? At this point, I get the feeling the league probably serious about doing what they have to do to get the players to agree. SARS Monster 15, will Toronto ever get an NFL franchise? The Canada-wide support for the Raptors shows how an NFL franchise would have national support. But remember when they were doing the split schedule for the Bills in Toronto? At first it was great, and then it was just like, oh man, this just isn't working. See, that's what Ralph Wilson tried to do to establish a broader footprint for the Bills to keep them in Buffalo, sacrificing some of the games to Toronto to keep them in Buffalo, and it didn't work. And the Buffalo Bills are a team that we still need to be concerned about. I don't want the Bills to move, but I'm not going to act like they'll never move because they could move. And it puts a ton of pressure on the local government to come up with a deal that gets the Pagulas enough, especially if one of these other cities that wants a team comes up with a deal like St. Louis. Hey, here's $500 million in free money. At some point, how do you refuse that? Loyalty has a price, as Dwight Schrute once said. I'm a very loyal person, and if someone were willing to pay me more for my loyalty, I would be loyal to them, or something. Tyler Furness, if the players strike or the owners lock the players out, how will the deals with the networks be affected, both current and future? I vaguely recall that the last time around, the league had finagled an agreement from the networks to pay even if there weren't games. This time around, you've got a potential lockout one year. You've got the network deals expiring the next year. The league wants to get a CBA done and then extend the TV deals. And I don't think the TV networks are going to be in a mood to extend until they know there's going to be peace in 2021. So I, I, I think it's got a different vibe this time. Because the way these deals line up, it creates pressure on everyone to get a new CBA done so they can turn over to the networks and cash out, cash in, and extend the TV deals that provide so much of the revenue that gets shared by the league and the players. Leapers 500, how was the 54th? Were you hurting? You know, I, I drink moderately. And... I rarely, rarely, once a year, get past that point where I'm all loopy and I have a hard time getting up the next day because I feel like there's an ice pick in my brain. So, Saturday night, Sunday night, moderate, moderate consumption. So, I was feeling good. I was happy. Hey, you know what I said last week? Did I say this last week? Yes, I did. I'm happy to have made it 54 years, and I hope to make it 55. 
And if I make it 55, I hope to make it 56. If I make it, make it 56, I hope to make it 57. And it's a celebration every time you finish that cycle around the sun. Because the goal is ride this thing as long as you possibly can. Bored to death. Apologies if it's been brought up already. Do you think chairman is a viable replacement term for owner if the public wills for a more politically correct term? Yeah, but here's the problem. Christopher Johnson's the chairman and CEO of the Jets, but Woody Johnson's the owner. See, some of those titles may already be given to other people. CEO. Some teams have a CEO that isn't the primary owner of the team. So I've been carrying around the record and fact book, meaning to look at, at how some of these teams do it. Here's, here's one. The Steelers have Art Rooney II as president. So when referring to Art Rooney, you could say president. Amy Adams Strunk is controlling owner and co-chairman board of directors. So it's hard to wash owner out of her title when owner is already baked into it. Cardinals owner is William Bidwell. President is Michael Bidwell. Owner and chairman of the Falcons is Arthur Blank. David Tepper, owner of the Panthers. Chairman of the Bears, George McCaskey. See, so it works in some of these. Jerry Jones, owner, president, and general manager. So, it, it's, look, I, I did not intend to create another reason for people to retreat to their tribal corners, but if there is a way to refer to owners without using a term that, that may have a connotation that would offend some people, why not do it? Why not come up with a different term? Why is that a big deal? But the problem is coming up with a term that easily replaces the one we've been using. Leapers 500, as you've gone through 54 years and will soon receive your AARP informational packet, what have you learned that you can distill from the time? Congrats, and I hope you took a moment to observe the great blessings of a wife, son, and success in something you work very hard at. Well, I appreciate that, and I don't have any grandiose observations at this point. I don't. Just find something you like to do and do it with all that you have and, you know, shit tends to take care of itself. So that's about as profound as I can be at this moment. I don't know. I wish I had something better than that. Life is just a series of one day after another, one week after another, one month after another, one year after another. And the question is, what do you do with the time that you have? And you never know how much time you ultimately have, but what do you do with the time that you have? What do you do with it? What do you want to do with it? You don't have to want to do great things. You don't have to have grandiose goals. Whatever it is that gives you satisfaction and happiness, spend your time doing that. And enjoy the moments where you're with the people you care about. Whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's coworkers, whether it's neighbors, whether it's teammates on your softball league, whether it's your dog, just enjoy those moments. And be aware, consciously enjoy those moments. Because nobody knows how long those moments are going to last. Plain and simple. All right, I should wrap this up. Leapers 500, if the Jets valued Le'Veon Bell uniquely, what should they expect from him to justify the premium they pay? They, they should expect 2,000 yards from scrimmage. That's what they should expect. And they could have paid him less. And I think Adam Gase, the coach of the team, wanted to get him for less. I think Gase was fine with him at $9 million a year. More than that, no. Too much to pay. So, hey, prove him wrong, Le'Veon. 
generate the kind of season that makes the Jets say, hell yeah, we're glad we have Le'Veon Bell. Tyler Fornis, what's your favorite fast food chain? Not fast food, good food quickly. You know, I used to eat at Subway every day when I practiced law, and I was out and about, and I had to go get lunch. I mean, that was my kind of half-day reward. And I would like to push it later and later. I'd like to get as much work done as I can. So, like, if I would go to lunch at, like, 2, like, I really got the day under my belt before I go have lunch. But I don't know. I don't know what my favorite fast food chain is. I don't know that I have one. Maybe that is the true sign of a life well-lived. To tie it back to the question from Leapers 500, once you get to the point in your life where you no longer have a favorite fast food chain, maybe that's when you've made it. All due respect to the various fast food chains out there that could be sponsoring the PFTPM podcast. I think I've just painted myself into a corner. Let me move on to the next question. Nick Estrom, happy belated birthday. Did you get the alpha out and enjoy a little ride? Well, let me tell you, I had the alpha out today. And it's got a race mode on it. And I've had that thing two years. And one thing I learned about that thing today, when you're at a stop and you're merging onto a four-lane highway and you have to stop because there's, there's no lane there to kind of merge into and then slide over, and you get a little irritated because somebody stayed in the right lane instead of getting over to the left lane and allowing you to come out and merge... So you decide, I'll show them when they finally pass by, and you gun it, and the thing starts to, to, to shimmy and shake, and you almost lose control of it. You realize the power of 505 horses under the hood. So I learned a lot about the Alpha today. I learned to take it out of race mode, especially when I want to show off the, the raw power of that engine, because I almost rolled the damn thing. But I never did exceed the posted speed limit for anyone out there who may have a badge and jurisdiction over my general geographic vicinity Uncle or vicinity. Uncle Larry 112, regarding your point from last week about avoiding certain terms to avoid being an asshole, is there a certain number or percentage of folks that have to be bothered by a term to deem it offensive, or is it a case of you know it when you see it? I don't know what the minimum is, but I think if anyone is genuinely offended by it, then you need to take a look and ask yourself, is there another way to skin this cat? The thing about the Washington nickname, like that bubbled and gurgled and roiled for a few years. And then the Washington Post, May of, what was it, 2015, 2016, they had a poll. And the poll was flawed in many ways. But even if you accept the poll as being accurate, 100% accurate, 10% of Native Americans who responded are offended by the term. Isn't that enough? How many other people are genuinely offended by the nickname given to a sports team? Now, I know Chiefs is a little problematic, but Chiefs is not recognized as a dictionary-defined slur. Charles Krauthammer, the late conservative commentator, put it best. Sometimes language evolves. Sometimes shit happens. Sometimes words that at one point were fine and acceptable are no longer acceptable. There were words back in the 70s that were acceptable that are definitely not acceptable now. Words in the 60s that were acceptable that definitely are not acceptable now. That's the way we evolve as a species. And sometimes shit happens. Sometimes you have a football team or another sports team that is carrying a name that is a word that has, through the evolution of our language, cycled out of the system. It's just the way it works. 
Dean Osborne, 42. Do you think the Cowboys should trade Zeke Elliott a year before his rookie deal expires? Some desperate team will overpay for him, and the Cowboys get real value in return without having to pay him huge cash. Win-win for everyone. Yeah, but then you don't have the value of Zeke Elliott on your team during his prime production years. Do you want to give up that last year or two where Ezekiel Elliott can be worked and worked and worked and provide you with real benefit. You know, it'll be interesting to see if the Cowboys transition from Ezekiel Elliott-centric offense to Dak Prescott-centric offense. But if I'm Ezekiel Elliott, I'm worried that they're just going to chew me up and spit me out and give me the DeMarco Murray treatment. I'm going to have 2,000 yards in my final year, and they're going to say, thank you very much. Go find your reward out on the open market. DeMarco Murray set the franchise single-season rushing record. More than Tony Dorsett, more than Emmett Smith. It still stands today. Ezekiel Elliott hasn't caught it. DeMarco Murray's reward was, uh, have fun in Philadelphia. Dean Osborne, 42. Why has nobody issued legal proceedings yet against the AAF following the collapse of the league? They clearly misled a lot of people into believing that they had the funds to operate successfully. There have been lawsuits, but the problem is once they file bankruptcy, the lawsuits get frozen. The lawsuits get stayed, and that's what happened to the AAF's lawsuits. I just wonder at what point is there a criminal investigation into potential fraud, that there was a representation that there would be money in place to pay these bills to allow the AAF to get through multiple seasons successfully. And then that got people to dig deep into their own pockets and spend money, assuming that they would get reimbursed, assuming they would make money back, assuming they were doing business with a viable football entity and they weren't. That's what, that's what I, I don't, I'm not saying it should happen, but the civil lawsuits, it doesn't matter because there's no money to pay them. Whether or not someone gets in trouble with the feds for fraud, that's a different issue altogether. Angel Mountains 100, what's your favorite wine to pair with the steak? Without question, Camus. The standard Camus. You don't need the fancy Camus, just the standard Camus. And I was freaking out for a while because I couldn't find it. See, the problem is somebody gave me a bottle of Camus and I drank it. I wish I'd never had it. Once I had it, I'm ruined for any other cab. Camus is awesome. And there is not regular consumption of Camus in this household. It is when everyone is here for a Sunday night, and there has to be a certain number of people here. Because I don't want to open the bottle and just have half of it gone. Because then I have to go through that stress every day. Maybe, you know, is this hamburger enough to justify a glass of Camus? So, Camus. The, the, the 2017 is out. The 2016, I, 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 it got to the point where I couldn't find it. And then, like, after a couple of weeks, the 2017 started to pop up. It is excellent. Don't buy it. Don't, don't, don't. Don't cut into my stash. It is so good. All right, let's probably wrap this up. Steph Boyardee, most memorable Florio family vacation slash event. We've gone to the beach multiple times for a whole week. And one of the reasons we have the house we have now, we ended up being blessed to have a very large house that is conducive to family gatherings. And we have gatherings here multiple times a week. And when we were going to the beach every year before we moved into this house, we would rent a really nice house somewhere and we'd have 14, 15 people there. And it was just great. Everybody's together. Everybody gets along. Everybody's having fun. And there are great spaces to eat and be together and hang out. And I remember thinking, I would love to find a house like this where we live. And then this would be the place where we are all the time. And we just got lucky and found this place five years ago. But I remember a time where we were, and I can't even remember what beach it was because they all kind of blur together. I think it was, I think it was Isle of Palm 
or Palms. I always get it wrong. It's in South Carolina. It's close to Charleston. And I can remember being out on the patio deck area and there was a pool there. And from being in the pool, you could kind of see down to the beach so you could keep an eye on everybody. And that's, I, you know, I don't like to, I don't really like being on the beach all that much. You know, sand gets in places where it, it's hard to get it out. And, you know, I'll make my cameo appearance, but for the most part, I just, I just chill. I chill. I work on the website and we go out and have a nice dinner every night or we cook a dinner where we are. And I just remember there was a moment where it's almost like that religious experience where it's like, you're consciously aware that this is a perfect moment and you know that it's not going to last for very long, but you just enjoy it while you're in that moment. And it's just kind of like, it's one of those moments where just everything lines up together and you can't force it. It just happens. So that was pretty good. And we're doing that again, coming up here in a few weeks. We haven't done it for a while. See, the problem is once we got the house, it raised the bar for the quality of the vacation experience. And it also, when, when I have downtime, when PFT Live is off for four weeks, as it will be coming up later this month, I kind of, I kind of don't want to leave the house. And this year it took some convincing to get me to say, I'll go. Cause for a while I was like, yeah, you guys go. I'm, I'm just fine here. I'll hang out with the dog. And, um, uh, I finally decided it probably was in my best interest to go because my, my, uh, um, you know, my wife, I could tell was very interested in me going. All right. Probably should wrap this up. Plenty of questions here today. Thank you. If there's any pressing questions you haven't gotten answers to, uh, ask them again tomorrow, probably tomorrow, either tomorrow or Wednesday, I'll do another one. We'll see what's going on. Things are slowing down a little bit, although there are mandatory mini camps and you never know when somebody's going to pop an Achilles or, or, or tear an ACL, and I don't want to jinx anybody. I ain't, I mean, I'm not naming names, but we know that can happen. It's already happened at least once this offseason. hasn't happened as much as maybe it has in the last offseasons, but it's mandatory minicamp. You get a lot of competition out there. You get guys trying hard, and all it takes is one false move, and you got yourself a problem. Hopefully that won't happen to anyone, but we'll be monitoring everything that goes on in the National Football League the rest of this week. And and really, moving on, I saw, like Pete Prisco said, oh, in a few weeks, the NFL shuts down for five weeks. It doesn't shut down here, baby. We don't shut down. No days off. There will always be content every day. We will find things to write about every day, no matter what is or isn't going on in the NFL. We've been doing it for 18 years, and it will continue throughout the quote-unquote slow period of the National Football League that is coming up, but it won't be slow here. We'll, we'll take care of you. Uh, all right, tomorrow morning, PFT Live. Content around the clock at profootballtalk.com. Everybody have a great day. We'll do this again Tuesday or Wednesday, or both. We'll see how it plays out. See. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.